Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I wanted to let you know that the uh, new intro music here was composed by my daughter, Claire. Uh, I hope you dig it. I certainly am loving on her creativity. And also, this is episode 90 with Barbara Moore. If you have not listened to our previous three episodes with her, you should definitely go back and check them out. The links are in the show notes, or if you've already got them in your podcaster, 44, 58, and 72 are the magic numbers. All right, on with the music. start by saying thank you to all the Patreons who support this podcast in general and specifically help the process of providing transcripts of every episode to the public so that anybody for any reason can access all this wonderful information. Uh, those fine people are getting access to uh, great bonus material and they make this happen. If you are listening to this podcast, think about how many episodes you've listened to, how much you've appreciated it, and please consider heading on over to patreon.com slash thehermitslamp and pitching something in to continue supporting this work. It is truly a situation where every dollar helps. Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp podcast, everybody. I am here today with Barbara Moore, and this is uh, essentially our fourth annual uh, check in and, and hang out. We started these conversations a number of years back and just sort of fell into the habit of kind of following up and seeing where life has gotten to and what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting episode because for, for both of us, it's been a year of a lot of change and, uh, you know, a lot of transformation. And, you know, so yeah, let's, let's, let's get to it. Hey, Barbara, what's, uh, what's going on? What's new? <laughs> new we um have just celebrated our one year anniversary in our new um in our new home mm-hmm. and it's um like you said been a year of a lot of change um you said transformation i don't think that my stuff is actually in the transforming <laughs> stage yet it's still in the feels like it's still in the breaking down phase and i really mm-hmm. didn't it would be more the end of the transformation like the butterfly stage by now but that has not happened uh-huh. um, but I suppose what's new the biggest newest thing that's been kind of a theme this year for me has been death that is has been new to me I have not had a lot of death in my life um, and so I've had a lot of it pretty close and intimate really intimate um, this year. In fact, um, the most intimate, wow, we're gonna start right off with the big stuff. The most intimate connection with death on one level, I had just one week ago today. And mm-hmm. that was when, okay, so the, house, the place we live in is attached to a house on property owned by a couple named Carol and Noel. I did mention them last year. And, uh, and Noel died on Friday. And this is not unexpected. He 
was quite old and was in hospice and dying for quite some time. And um, Carol knows that I have done a little bit of priestess work, a little bit of ritual stuff. And so the hospice caregiver was preparing Noel's body. Oh, because they didn't take the body away to a mortuary or anything like that. They kept him at home and for a, a week. And uh, he just went away on Thursday. Um, and so he wasn't gonna be uh, embalmed or anything. And uh, so the hospice caregiver um, asked, and Carol asked if I would help prepare his body, which <laughs> was really freaky for me because I've never done anything like that. I've never been a good, um, you know, some people are good um, caregivers, you know, like if someone's sick, they're good at taking care of them and comforting and mm -hmm. helping cleaning. I've never been that. And it's just not something that has been a strength for me. And, you know, but part of this whole year is, you know, doing things that scare me. Um, and so, yeah, so I helped wash him. And then we crumbled up lavender into some oil and anointed his whole body and dressed him. And uh, I, it's been a week and I still, I've told people I can't really talk about it yet because I haven't fully processed what I think or feel about that situation. And even just talking about it, I can feel um, the fluttering in my chest, you know, like a sign of anxiety that I haven't really um, finished processing that um, experience. But mm. um, I guess we could say that that's really metaphoric for what this past year has been. I've been getting up close and personal with death in many forms and still sorting out my relationship with it. Death is one of those things that we don't, uh, I mean, I consider myself a person who's comparatively really comfortable with death and very, um, you know, close and aware of death. You know, I mean, I've, I've been through a lot of very close loss in my life, you know, with my two of my brothers passing away and, you know, the people that I've known passing away. And I think that death is always comfortable companion even if you are relatively speaking comfortable with it being around you know it's, it's always it's it's never it's never entirely settled and i think that you know like grief grief is never entirely settled you know it might be 20 years and some conjunction of things will kick some little pocket of it back up into the foreground again you know so Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, what has driven me for most of my life is um, making things, producing things, working. And um, I think whenever any kind of loss comes to me into my life, I would just kind of pat it down and run over it and just keep going. You know, mm -hmm. like it's not affecting me. It happened. It's done. Move on. Move on. And uh, this year, the um, kinds of death have been really much larger. And I've been not work. 
working much. I mean, I've been doing my regular work, like I explained in the last podcast, I did kind of have the year off, except for, you know, just the basic work to keep feeding myself. But um, I've had a lot more downtime and quiet time. And it's almost like I needed training wheels to feel because I'm not, Mm. I wasn't used to what am I feeling and, and just even letting the feeling come to the surface and then the next step identifying it and what do you do with it and how does it fit in with mm, where you want to go with your life or whatever um and uh because I don't even know what order I should tell all the stories in but just this this example of feeling the feelings associated with death just my my father also died he died in September and um I just started, just like last night, actually, I started feeling the feelings of grief, you know, like, oh my God, I miss him so much. And, you know, so it's been almost two months and I, and it's just happening now, you Mm -hmm. know, and my beloved companion, Whiskey, my golden retriever died in June and I wasn't home to say goodbye to her. I was in Minnesota at the time. And, you know, it took like a couple months for those feelings to come up. So, you know, I feel like even though I'm into my 50s, I have had little practice with this compared to most people my age. So it has been real interesting. Oh, and that reminds me too, right before I moved, my friend Nancy and I were messing around with our cards and stuff. And she's like, well, let's pull a card and see, you know, what big theme you can expect from this move. And she pulled the death card, of course, and was like, oh, wow, this is going to change your life in more ways than you think. And she pulled another card and it was the emperor. And she's like, you know, because I'm a very structured person, a very organized person. She's like, it's going to really blow that part of you to bits. But what she couldn't have known, and of course, hindsight is, you know, the emperor for a lot of people is associated with a father figure, you know, so it's like, mm-hmm. your father will die. And it's like, okay. But again, it's all metaphor and it's all tied together in bigger themes. And then I was uh, writing to one of my pen friends and I was giving her my new uh, P.O. box number. And she's like, oh, your P.O. box numbers add up to 13th. It's a death year for you. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So yeah do you do you follow the year card system are you for you know birth cards and year cards is that a thing for you i do my birth cards and the year cards i don't i do some years and some years i don't and i don't even know if i know what mine was i didn't think i needed another one (laughs) i think i'll just the death card wants to be my card this year i think we'll just go with it of course not knowing it's you know when you don't have a real um, experience with it, it can feel like, oh, it's exciting. Things are going to change because in the past in my life, when things have changed, it's always been like good and pretty easy and exciting and uh, not involving all of this that we're mm-hmm. having here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that death, death, is, uh, death on all those levels is always such a um, a complicated companion, right? You know, I mean, coming coming to the endings of things is 
Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, a relief, especially for for Noel, right? I mean, that's a that's a relief, right? Of that sort of you know slow movement across that line, you know. Um, but but the kind of change that it tends to bring isn't really, you know, it, it even if it's sudden, even if the change is sudden, the uh, the energy of it sort of lingers, right? You know, like Crowley talks about the death card as sort of Sometimes it's the fall of the side, and sometimes it's this like putrefaction, the slow breaking down and rotting of things, right? And, and hang out and sort of watch elements of yourself or your life kind of decompose, right? It's like we were talking a bit before we got on the line today, you know? Um, it's like that, that black phase, that negrito phase in alchemy, right? Where, you know, everything just starts to like break down and it's, you know, that's that's the long dark night of the soul time, right? Where all of a sudden you're like, I don't know where anything's going. I don't know what any of this means anymore. Does any of this matter, right? Yeah. Yeah, the does any of this matter has been a really strong push or long, no, it's been a strong question in me this year. You know, whenever I think of doing something or maybe I should take up a project, maybe I should get back to work, maybe I should do something. And like, what, what's worth, what does it matter? Mm. And I, I really truly hope I don't stay in this space for much longer because it is um, not comfortable. Yeah. I remember when in the, um, in the months after my, my brothers died, and for those who don't know, uh, two of my brothers passed within six weeks of each other. Um, it's about nine years ago now. And um, and so it was it was really intense the first first time, and then it was just doubled down, you know, sort of six weeks later, right? And uh, and you know, like I spent a lot of time thinking about it and trying to make sense of it, trying to, you know, like understand what does any of it mean anymore after this kind of situation and all those kinds of questions. And the, the thing I kind of kept coming back to was, well, I've got to do something with my time regardless. So what is it that I want to do? What is it like? Is it just like eat a bucket of ice cream? That's fine too, right? Is it, you know, something else? What What is it? Because I've got to do something with my time other than just sit and wonder if any of it means anything, you know? And, uh, you know, and so that kind of ultimately uh you know led me led me out of most of it you know and back into sort of being in the world and being engaged in things you know so yeah yeah hopefully that will um start happening um with me um i have spent my fair share of time just laying on the bed you know being all angsty and uh eating ice cream and whatnot, yep. but also done, you know, I've been reading more fiction, nothing that's, you mm -hmm. know, enlightening my mind or anything and, uh, and painting, nothing worth showing anybody. I have stacks and stacks and stacks of stuff that is completely pointless. And I'm like, why am I doing this? It's the only thing I feel like doing. So I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It feels really indulgent in a weird way. 
but isn't isn't that part of what life is about like i think that life as opposed to death is about indulgence right <laughs> no maybe, maybe i'm too sagittarian and too jupiterian in that regard but you know I, I think that life really is is about indulging those things and you know somewhat like the fool right if we if we indulge those things whatever meaning there is will emerge over time mm-hmm. you know as opposed to this idea that i think that we often have that we can determine what the meaning is and then you know set on the course of, of embodying that you know i mean it's like a thing that i that I, I think i said to you a long time ago right like you know the road knows what star is yours but you can't figure it out before you leave the house right you know right yeah that's so contrary to the way i've lived my life um and as you know speaking those words again i can feel the truth and beauty in them at, at the same time i feel part of myself resisting sure so yeah yeah it is definitely the black phase of alchemy man just breaking down just breaking down like when i left social media a lot of it was fueled by i was shaping my self-image based on how people on social media saw me or responded to me mm-hmm. and so i wanted to not let that be driving how i was shaping myself but and so taking that away what's left what's take what's shaping myself is my work it's always been my work what am i doing what am i putting out there how much am i teaching how many books am i publishing how many decks am i creating what am i doing and uh like you said we can't always set the outcome and move toward it and embody it and manifest it sometimes it's just oh something my uh um friend ricardo says similar to what you said is you can't see the path in the woods until you're in the woods you know it's dark and you can't see it until you're there and uh, yeah so you know what mm-hmm. are paintings is they're, they're mostly portraits of strangers people i don't know you know mm-hmm. just like stock images or there are <clears throat> sites that where people post pictures for artists to use as reference and mm-hmm. it's all i'm doing is painting these strangers it's just really yeah. well i think it's really interesting because you never really know what's going to come back around you know i um i have this painting on the wall in the shop that i did i don't even know how long ago it has no date on it 78 years ago maybe um and it's of a it's of a red-winged blackbird mm. and you know i i i've been thinking about making art again and showing art i was in a show recently and sort of thinking about sort of the idea of um not just making sort of decks and stuff like that i mean still making those things as well um but also making art for the sake of making art to show and share you know and um and and i was looking at this painting which has been you know in my reading room the whole time that since i made it so for a long time now and um and i was like and I, and i was talking to to an artist and talking about how inspired i was by basquiat and their really large works that they painted you know they they you know they had a showing here in toronto a while back and 
some of the paintings are like six foot square and stuff like that. And I'm like, I feel like this urge to work big. I'm like, but I don't really have space to work big. You know, all the excuses come in. And, and then like, I was looking at this painting of a bird and I was thinking, and then immediately I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to photograph that and I'm going to blow it up. And, and then I'm going to paint on top of it and make it into a new painting through that process. And so I just got the the prints, so they're two by two by three feet big now, as opposed to like I don't know what five by eight or something like that, which the small thing is originally. And um, and I'm gonna mount it to uh, to some kind of board, and then I'm gonna start work, reworking on top of it and stuff like that. And so you just never know what comes back around, you know. Like those strangers may emerge in some really new way or lead to something else, you know. Are you going to use um, acrylics on top of that? Or do you I'm going to. I'm going to use. I have these uh, acrylic markers, um, so I'm going to use those, um, and I'm going to use um, ink. So I'm going to like go in, and I want to do a mix of um, big scale stuff on it, and really, really super intimate things, like you know, like the. The branch that the bird is sitting on, because it was painted small, is essentially just a few very simple strokes of simple colors, right? But I'm going to go in and, and embellish that, and then I'm going to go in and um, work with some varnish and stuff. So some stuff will be really varnished and shiny from certain angles, and like I have a bunch of ideas about it. And then I feel like I can also feel there are some other birds like, "Hey, do me next, do me next." So you know, I feel like it's it's going to become a body of something, right? Um, but, uh, but what that is, I don't really know. Uh, but, you know, they, they've, they've always been my companions, right? You know, I mean, I have this habit of I just go and follow the birds through the woods until they stop, and then I realize where I need to be and stop and hang out with the earth in that place and things like that, right? So I have a very, like, strong connection to them, so. God, I can't wait to see it sounds like it's going to be really, really cool. It's feeling excited for the process for you, just hearing about it. Yeah, it's been a long time since I since I had a, a sort of purely process-driven thing, and it's been a long time since I made, like, I'm not even sure the last time I made a piece of art that wasn't for a deck. You know, it's been it's been quite some time since I since I did that. So, yeah, yeah. Um. I was uh, just thinking, you know, kind of, we kind of led with the heavy stuff, which seems natural. It's been on my mind, but I wonder maybe it wouldn't be nice to have a little interlude of a few happier or positive things that have already been kind of coming out of the ashes. Um, yeah. Just so people don't get too depressed and quit listening. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things is, uh, I have two, two examples I'd love to share. Um, the first is um, regarding my father's death. Mm -hmm. so my father, um, he had five kids, um, me and two sisters from my mom, and then my sister and brother from my stepmother. So there's five mm -hmm. of us. And out of the um, five of us, three of us are really close to me and two of my sisters and then the other two live in Michigan still and not quite as close 
And one of the things my dad always said was he wished that we were all closer. Right. That was super important to him. And he, when things started getting bad for him in July, um, my siblings and I started a sibling text chain just so we could, and just so we could keep up on stuff and Mm -hmm. all fully informed. And throughout the process between July and October, um, that the, the time when he was like actively dying and in hospice and then planning the funeral and whatnot, my siblings and I worked together, not like a well-oiled machine, because that sounds so cold, but like a bunch of dancers who know their steps and that complement each other. And so that was just really super amazing. And then um, when the funeral, which was in Michigan, all my siblings were already there and I was flying in like the day before. And so I get to the Detroit airport and um, my siblings text me and they're like, we're all here. Like, so it was just us five siblings without spouses, without kids, without anything, just the five of us. And I don't remember the last time the five of us were alone together all in one place so um we stopped for a drink on the way home and just you know toasting dad and sharing stories sharing intimate moments that we had with our dad that we'd never told anyone before and you know we just got really really close and in that weekend of the funeral it was like my dad's last gift to us he made a situation where we all fell in love with each other it really it really is wonderful and uh you know so i'm so grateful for that because we we still have that text chain going and you know at least once a week we're you know sharing things about our lives and you know encouraging each other so that was super awesome Mm -hmm. and a real a real blessing then the other was um it's a little bit still close but it was still like such a remarkable experience was you know like I said, Noel died, and so we kept him at home, and people would come, you know, to just sit with him and be with people, you know, kind of like a a wake kind of thing. Um, Oh, oh, but I do need to tell you this little local flavor thing, Um, you know, because I do live here in this little tiny valley, and the technology is pretty sketchy, and, you know, there's no, no, like, Potter Valley Facebook group or anything where people share what's going on. They do it the old-fashioned way. Like when the fires were happening this summer, um, there's this one kind of a park area where everyone who comes in and out of the valley drives past, and they had a big, like a sandwich board sign where they had updates on the fire and the map of the evacuation areas and stuff. That's how people found out stuff. And Mm -hmm. so for Noel's funeral, we wanted, or whatever, it wasn't really a funeral, we'll call it a funeral, Um, we wanted to let people know, and so um, Dylan and I made, you know, two really big cardboard signs saying, just saying, Noel Hale passed away, community visiting at his home in the hours, and hung one up at the corner store, and one on the corner of the street, where we live and uh and that's how we communicated the information and mm-hmm. you know, i mean and one time you know we were walk 
Dylan and I were walking out to visit the pigs. We live on the corner where the sign was. And, you know, a man dri- was driving up the mountain. He stops. He's like, oh, so, you know, Noel died. And yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, just people talk more. It's more face-to-face or old, very old school. Well, anyways, mm-hmm. back to the, the pool part was when you're getting cremated, apparently they give you this cardboard box that's, you know, you fit the body in. And so we left it out in the uh, large area of the house with a bunch of art supplies and people decorated it, Mm. you know, so he, by the time it was done, it was just like covered in, in pictures and symbols and Sufi prayers and all kinds of other prayers and blessings and gratitude and things for him. So, you know, he was um, sent off to his, you know, final physical whatever before he got cremated in this not a beautiful wooden brass box but this cardboard little homely humble cardboard box decorated with all this love and amazement it it was just really different than anything I'd ever experienced before and just how loved he was by the community and um, it was just a a really really awesome experience it's amazing Okay, happy interludes done. Happy interludes done. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I guess, I think that there's something that I'm curious about. Mm. Um, You're talking about uh, social media again, right? You know, and like, are you going to go back? Do you, is there anything that you need from it? If you go back, how does it, um, how does it impact your your way of formulating your identity, you know, and like those kinds of things. And I'm really I'm really interested in this right now because um, because in some ways I feel like you know not not recently but sort of historically I've been somewhat absent from my social media. You know, my my social media has always been about the work or the things versus about me as a person, you know, and um, not entirely, but, but I mean, the podcast is, is definitely a place where, you know, I'm more visible, you know, I'm more, more audible, I guess, as the case may be. And, um, and, uh, you know, and I've been consciously changing that over the last while, you know, and uh, changed in part because of some conversations I had with you know, Carrie and a few other people about stuff. Um, but mostly it started changing because I had this dream. I, I, I often have dreams with Andy Warhol in them. And, uh, you know, he often comes to give me advice and tell me about stuff. And, and in some ways, my, my return to making art is, is also at his prompting, right? And, uh, and the first dream that I had uh, I was hanging out with Andy at his uh, you know, famous warehouse, you know, and we were there talking about uh, making art and being seen and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, and, and he kind of like, we were talking and like, and he just stopped the conversation at one point in the middle of like something else. And he goes, Andrew, you don't understand. You're a magnificent weirdo and the world needs that right now. The world needs you to show everybody your magnificent weirdness because that's what they're, what's important and that's what's going to 
you know, be significant about your work and your art and all of these things. And I was like, in a dream, I was like, all right, Andy, I can do that. No problem, right? And then we went on to talk about making art and, and, and other things and so on, right? And and before we went on, though, he, he, he also turned around and sort of announced loudly to everyone in the spaces, you know, Andrew's a magnificent weirdo and you all should be paying attention to what he's doing, right? Something like that. And, um, and so I've been thinking about Andy Warhol and thinking about social media and thinking about all of these kinds of things and really endeavoring to sort of engage it on my own terms, you know, and really sort of share what I think is important or helpful, helpful, helpful is the wrong word for it because I'm not so interested in what's helpful, but share what, what feels really real and what feels really particular to me, you know? And, uh, you know, and I, I made this shirt up uh, that I started wearing around that says Magnificent Weirdo on it, which uh, oh. particularly amusing. And that's kind of my, my talismanic t-shirt. So. Oh, I love that. You are a Magnificent Weirdo. That's, oh, how wonderful to have Andy Warhol as your advisor and, well, maybe not muse, but your advisor. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that mean... Um, you're starting to engage your social media more as more personally then. Yeah, definitely more personally. Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm showing up there more. I'm showing more of my life. Um, you know, definitely. It's definitely a thing that's sort of continuing to emerge, you know, and especially um, as I'm getting into making art, like I don't know what these bird things are going to be, but I'm going to share that process and journey along the way, you know, and uh, yeah, sharing more of my my personal story and that kind of stuff. So, whereas in the past I would sort of have tended to just uh, leave stuff alone until it felt resolved, and then share the the resolved story of it. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that I've always mm, I haven't always successfully done, but I've always tried. Like I. I this uh, one teacher who's talking about, you know, um, public speaking and writing and, you know, you and your audience. And he said, don't work your shit out in front of your audience. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, so I've always tried to not do that. You know, like these people aren't here to be my therapy session. They're here to learn what I learned, you know, to get Mm -hmm. something helpful, but to use your word. But Maybe that's not the only way to think about sharing. Maybe the only, the purpose of sharing isn't only what you may deem as helpful or a nice, clean process or technique that you can also use to change your life or fix your life or improve your life. Mm-hmm. Um, just sharing your unique and awesome weirdness might have value. I don't. How, how do you? How would you say that? Because you said not necessarily be helpful because you're not interested in that. So what is the effect then? So, I mean, for me, the effect is, um, and, you know, I think it'll be interesting what comes back from people who listen to this episode, right? Um, You know, I think that what happens is there's this notion that people who are in positions like we're in, right? You know, like, you know, working working as as a card reader, having a degree of success, having published and 
done other things, right? That somehow we've all got our, our shit together and we don't struggle and nothing's difficult, you know? And I think that, you know, sort of, well, you know, I mean, Barbara Moore didn't just bounce right back after the death of her dad. I guess I can cut myself some slack or, you know, look at that. We're all, we're all, we're all human or, you know, like these kinds of things. I think that that's, that that's part of it. Um, and I also think that, I mean, particularly, particularly in the Magnificent Weirdo case, you know, um, I mean, I was, I, I hadn't, I hadn't realized that I, I used this phrase uh, until someone started mirroring it back to me every time I used it, which is, uh, you know, I, I would say, well, it's funny being, being me sometimes. And then I would like say something that was like really, really different about my life compared to many people's lives. Right. And, uh, you know, and they, they, they were, the, this person was always amused by it, but, um, but I started to realize that like my, I don't see my life as a role model at all, but my life is, is super radically different than, than so many people's, you know? I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about, but before about this, I've mentioned on the podcast, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting divorced right now. Right. You know, uh, myself and, and Hammond uh, sort of both realized that, you know, after quite a stretch of time, we've come to this place where what we want and who we become is is just different you know we, we really uh you know have a very different we have different goals and and they don't really line up in ways that don't start to kind of curtail each other's possibilities right which is something that neither of us is really uh wanting to happen right you know um so you know so this year has been has been really like last six months has been working through that process and so on right but um you know i mean i'm i've been in a non-monogamous relationship for you know the last three and a half four years or something and you know before we had kids almost the whole time of our relationship before that so i'm not ending this relationship and then figuring out who am I and how do I start dating again? And, you know, all of these kinds of things, you know, I mean, I have a relationship with, you know, with this person, this Sarah, who I've been seeing for two and a half years. And, you know, there are other, other dates that I've gone on and other connections and so on. So even just that, it's such a different perspective than almost anybody that I know in that regard. Right. And doing what I do for, for a living and, you know, my religious practices and you know, like so many of the things that I do are just so radically different. And not that that is either a role model or the way in which people should see things or whatever, but I find that as I share those things, it's, uh, it, it opens up people's ideas and sort of gives them permission to be like, huh, well, well, what would I like to do that's not, that's maybe not the thing that's done? Or what would, you know, am I interested in these sort of ideas that I've been living? Do they serve me anymore, you know? Um, or maybe I've always wanted to be more this way or that way or whatever. And so sort of seeing those things happen in other people's lives, you know, um, I think it's a, it's a chance to 
inspire people not to be like me, but to be like themselves, right? So, yeah. And, and again, not in a like, I've got it figured out and this and that, whatever way, because it, it's not like that at all, right? Um, but, but in a like, huh, you know, hanging hang out with me is an invitation to, uh, to, to be fully yourself, right? You know? And, and for a lot of people, you know, that's not necessarily something that they get a lot of invitation to, right? So. Yeah, yeah. right. Probably not nearly enough people get that invitation. There's so many other forces helping tell us who we should be and how to live. Right? Yeah. And internalized forces too, right? Like even even if they're not around us now, you know, those those older voices, they can still kick around, right? Oh, and maybe even like instinctual survival um, impulses, you know, like to survive sure. in the world, you have to be successful and you have to be this, yeah. you know, and so yeah. you that even, wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot trying to box us in and very little inviting us out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then we have an awesome uh, weirdo to help us. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, one, I, I definitely get and appreciate the value of that approach. Um, and it's butting up against one of my older, um, and perhaps just society's older idea, if you know someone's gonna write a book or teach, you expect them, or this used to be true, or maybe it was just true for me and people like me, you expect them to be masters of what they're teaching and mm -hmm. therefore having it all worked out. And, um, you know, when, when, um, when a book comes out or a kit or a deck comes out, it's usually a really happy, excited moment. Like, oh, my thing has hit the world and it's out there. And I didn't really have that same experience with my, um, one of my recent books, The Modern Guide to Energy Clearing, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I wrote the book based on my experiences. And now I'm, this past year, I've been in a place where I feel like if I would have practiced everything I preached in that book, I'd be way further along than I am now in terms of adjusting and, I don't know, not being in this black alchemical place. Um, but it made me shy, maybe a little embarrassed to go, well, because there were a lot of publicity opportunities, like unlike all my tarot stuff, which there's hardly any, mm -hmm. um, with this book, there were invitations to radio shows and bookstores and all kinds of things. And I didn't do all of them. I did some of them because I felt like I owed it to the book and to my publisher. And you know, it, you have a responsibility when you're partnering with a publisher. It's not just your thing, it's their investment as well. And I think part of what made me really shy about it is because I was in the midst of, you guys, I have these tools, these techniques, these skills, this knowledge, and I am too, I'm too raw to do them. Mm -hmm. And it just felt almost um, hypocritical. And perhaps there needs to be another book or maybe just an article that explains <laughs> when you're doing energy work sometimes you have to just let things sit and decompose 
And you don't always get to control how fast that happens. Mm. So, yeah. I think, I think that this idea of um, the, uh, like, the wise teacher who's got their, their, all their stuff together, um, I, I think it's really uh, a problem. I think it's really dishonest. And I think that it's why, I think that it's one of the forces that allows so many problematic things to exist in a variety of communities, right? I think that it's one of the things that, uh, you know, at, it, at, at one of its worst, right, encourages, you know, stuff that we could, we could sort of, uh, you know, the Me Too movement seeks to address, right? Because... The perception is that these teachers or leaders or community people or whatever, um, you know, in the spiritual communities have their stuff so together, right? And, and how could they not? And therefore, this other person must be the problem, you know? I think it's one of the mechanisms which that happens under. Um, and I think that, I think that it, it sort of comes out of the sort of, I mean, I don't know where it originates from, but... Um, but like in the ceremonial stuff and the more hierarchical and initiatory things that I used to be involved in, in those ways, there was this notion that, um, that somehow we would become perfect, right? We would become enlightened. We would, we would achieve these things, you know, but like, you know, my, my elders in, in, you know, in the Lakumi tradition, it was like, I'm just a person doing things. I'm doing my best. But like I'm not perfect, and there's no expectation to be perfect. There's an expectation to cultivate character, to work on yourself, to you know, to grow, to be honest, and you know, and ideally to sort of continually seek out um, those things in yourself that you might need to work on in one way or another. Um, but there's no expectation to sort of uh, necessarily be perfect or you know, free of, of humanness because it's not about transcendence. It's about living in this world, right? And I think that a lot of the, you know, especially the stuff that people might refer to as sort of the love and light movement, you know, it's so, there's so much emphasis on sort of transcendence and, and so on that, you know, that, that, that we continually hear about these people whose humanness reemerges or, or finally is seen in a certain way and then, and then what does that mean for those people? You know, from my point of view, it doesn't mean anything. Just like you being raw, of course you're raw after all these loss, right? Of course you are. Because, you know, we, we, we shouldn't deny the reality or the shadow or, you know, our suffering because life is hard. But we can work at handling it easier, better, more consciously, you know? Maybe more consciously is the best way to, to frame it. But that doesn't mean that we're suddenly able to do everything, you know. I mean, I keep joking that when, um, I mean, it's not even a joke anymore. Maybe it's just a statement of what's going to happen, you know. When, when the separation happens and, and you know, we, we both have our own places and whatever, I'm like, I'm just going to sleep for a week. It's going to be like the first week, I'm just going to be like, all right, I'm just going to shut everything off and just stay in bed and order pizzas and, you know, nap a lot and watch Netflix because, you know. I need some like nothing time. I need some recharging after all this work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that's, 
that's valid, you know, that's, that does, that's not anti-spiritual, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm ranting now, so I'm going to stop. Yeah, no, no, you're preaching, preach it, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Congregation of one right here. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah, no, um, (laughs) it reminds me of a funny thing my, one of my sisters would always say to me, well, not always, it's happened a couple of times when I've, like, very obviously and clearly fallen short of my own ideals and I'm all upset about it. And she's like, I love it when this happens to you. What do you mean? And Uh she's like, because you seem more human to me in these moments. And, And this is my sister, you know, and I don't want any walls between her and I and or to be on a higher place or transcendent plane or whatever i want to be with her and yeah. uh, so when i screw up that's when i'm with her more <laughs> at least on some level <laughs> yeah for sure well it's uh you know I, i've been doing uh for the last few years i've been doing a lot of rock climbing and uh you know i've been sort of ramping back into it after being injured doing something else earlier in the year and uh climbing with some 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 old friends but some new new climbing partners and uh and the one the guy was like makes me so happy when i see you struggle on the wall i'm sorry but like usually you're just so graceful about it <laughs> that i feel like it just looks so easy to you and even though you come down and i can see that you're like panting because it was so hard you made it look so easy that it just makes me feel bad about myself <laughs> so when you struggle it makes me feel better about myself and i'm like that's fine that's fair too right like you know <laughs> I think that that's that's part of it, right? We can, we, we you know, when we get to see other people's humanity, then we get to see and make space for our own, in one way or another, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said the idea of the uh, wise old teacher has some inherent problems, and maybe people in general are it may be a new idea of the archetypal teacher is starting to emerge or maybe a new facet of it is we're starting to explore you know maybe maybe things will change maybe we'll expect different things from our teachers mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think that what, what i expect of my my teachers are really kind of two things um you know you used the word mastery earlier right and i think that certainly uh certainly knowledge right you know I mean, I expect them to really deeply know what they're, like, I'm there to learn knowledge from them. Um, and so that's one part of it. And then the other part is, you know, is, is like honest relationships, you know, and, and having honest relationships about what's going on and what's going on with them and space for me to be, be honest with what's going on for me and so on. You know, I think that those, those things together are, or what I really expect, you know, and like, you know, it's, I've had the chance to meet a lot of people who, you know, in one way or other people would see as sort of wise masters or whatever, you know, and they're lovely human beings and they're still human beings, you know, and I think that that's never not going to be the case, right? You know? Um, well, I, 
I told you earlier, one of the things I, well, the only thing I did really to prepare for today's conversation was to re-listen to last year's podcast. And yeah. you were just, um, sounded like you were just starting to explore something kind of new and interesting um, that I was excited to hear more about. Um, and now I'd love to hear more about the work with meteorites and Moldavite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think in some ways um, that work was precipitation of, of the separation and divorce stuff, right? You know, I mean, I think that uh, the idea of, um, I mean, you know, it certainly wasn't, wasn't consciously formulated, but you know, this sort of idea of possibly, you know, I mean, the, the metaphor that I was working with of, was like the idea of uh, moving to a bigger space, right? Leaving the planet and being an interstellar traveler and, and sort of engaging a, a bigger a bigger world, a variety of planets, uh, you know, like this kind of idea, right? And, uh, and I think that one of the things that 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 energy supported me through was and, and is through the idea of separating from, from my partner of 21 years. So that's definitely been a part of it. Um, I also feel like um, this one's harder to talk about because I feel like it's still underway, but I feel like uh, the shop that I have, uh, my work as a, as a deck creator, and an author, um, and my work magically have all been sort of escalating into new places. And I feel like, especially, especially sort of going into next year, I'm going to be really living a completely different reality. And, and imagine there's going to be a lot more space for my spiritual stuff in that newer reality. Um, so I think that that's a part of what's come of that transition. And, um, and also I think the other thing that I've sort of, I'm still working on sorting it out on a practical level, but, um, there's, there's this, uh, there's this software company that make or company that makes a software called Basecamp and they structure their company work around these eight-week cycles. So basically, they they one of the one of the things that I heard about what they do is that they they have six-week work cycle, one week of cleanup and planning the next work cycle, and then they take a week off. And I've been really sort of starting to think about how do I, in order to make the arts and the magic and the other things that I want to be doing and feel called to be doing, um, I need more space and I need more time. And, uh, you know, uh, so I've, I've been, I also feel like that changing notion of what my, my space and time is going to look like is also kind of come out of that work, right? This idea that, um, that I can be, somehow in between things, you know? Now's the time where I'm, I'm on Mars doing Mars things. And now I'm back floating in the space in my in-between time 
doing whatever that is and then go back to the next place and you know uh, and the metaphor doesn't entirely hold but the, i think the idea you know makes sense right that, so it's really it's about allowing allowing for the space and letting go of all those sort of structures and, and ideas um that sort of hinder that possibility and making space for that to happen and i mean i'm not sure how long it's going to take for me to completely reorganize my life and work and other things into that into that direction you know, it might take another year or whatever but it doesn't really matter um but i feel like all of those pieces um kind of come out of uh come out of that work that started with the meteorites you know a year and a bit ago so Oh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a work of uh, of shedding and becoming, right? You know, and I I don't think that I was aware of the shedding. Well, I was aware of the shedding at a sort of big picture level, but I wasn't aware of it at a sort of more personal level when I started that. So, yeah. So, are you, do you think you're gonna? find your way back to the to the wider world or do you think that you're you're i i feel like you've been on a hermitage in the valley in the mountains mm -hmm. you know do you feel like that's something that's just going to continue or do you feel like it's time to, to shift that but that is a really good question really pertinent question at this point i have um just been starting to have like actual feelings about um, wanting to come out of my hermitage. It's super hard to do that because it's my natural inclination. It's where I would be always if people who loved me weren't concerned about my mental and emotional health. Um, <laughs> but living here, even like I said, it's so old school that it, it really feeds that. Like, when I was in the cities and when I was involved in the wider world, it, sometimes it felt like if it isn't seen by people on the internet, it isn't real. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's just a me thing. I don't think it's like everybody has that feeling, but it was definitely affecting me like that. But there are, like, there's a, a women's circle here that meets every couple of weeks. It's, you know, um, not set exactly. It's a little, every two or three weeks. and it's just some women who get together and just talk. And sometimes it's just casual talk, like book club level talk. And sometimes it's super deep and sometimes it's spiritual and sometimes it's scientific and it's really great, but it's very small and it's just the Valley and it's not posted anywhere and no one knows about it. It's not like putting transcripts out for, you know, it's not out there. And, mm -hmm it's just in and like i said just this, the cardboard signs it's just all small and hidden away kind of and i really i feel it feels really safe it feels really nice it feels really authentic it feels good to me but just over the past week or so i have been like i want to get out i want to take a class i want to do something but then i second guess myself because one of the things when i was in the midst of stuff this year i kept wanting to sign up for a class or do this or do that and dylan's like you know you do have this tendency that whenever you're avoiding dealing with something you want to take a class 
Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So now I'm in this space where I'm feeling this urge. Like, I don't really know exactly what I want to do, but I want to get out of here. I want to have something, some regular contact with the outside world um, in some way. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, oh, does this mean I'm, you know, coming up against my emotions about my dad and haven't dealt with them yet? And I'm trying to avoid that. So, yeah, I am feeling it. Yes, I think it's going to happen. I'm not exactly sure when or how it's going to happen. Um, earlier, you had mentioned when you said you were going to interview me and some people said to say hi and whatnot, it made my heart really happy and also a little sad and very emotional. Many feelings were happening. And, you know, so I'm like, well, maybe I could be back on Facebook and maybe I could just post about my life like I used to. And maybe that's okay. Um, and I hadn't really been this close to thinking that in a couple of years. Mm. So, um, and as far as like work, I mean, I have still worked. I've, even though I said I had the year off, I have written, um, two books and designed a deck. So it's not like I haven't been doing stuff to put out there, but, um, I haven't been super publicity oriented. I haven't been teaching. I've had invitations to workshops and to teach classes, which is more public, more connected with the world. And I keep turning them down. I still think I'm not interested in that. I think I did that a lot because it was expected. It was a natural part of this work that you and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can be good at it, uh, but I'm not sure if I love it. Mm. Yeah, so I'm still struggling about, you know, do I want to keep doing that or speaking at conferences or whatever, you know, especially these ones where it's like you have 50 minutes, because I feel like a lot of the things I'm thinking about now would, they're not like a, here's a simple technique that you can use. It's more like, here's a book on what I thought about this one thing, you know, I I just said, (laughs) so yeah. But I would love to take an art class. I think that's what I would like. Because I think that's one thing my art is missing is um, because I do love the process of it. And that's more important than the outcome. But there's still something fulfilling about increasing your skill and being able to skillfully make what you're envisioning, you know. So I would like Mm -hmm. that. And I think without, if I had some, you know, peers who are struggling as well as a teacher who's helping guide that would probably be really good so um, mm-hmm. of course the nearest place to take art classes around here is an hour and a half away but that's what happens when you live here in, in the mountains. Right. so i wonder if there are i wonder are there are there artists in the community that you could hang out and have conversations with and so on you know as as somebody who went to art school i'm always i'm, I'm cynical about Art, art, art lessons and art school and formal training and, and all of those things because it basically, you know, in my experience, and my experience is very particular, but it basically just ruined all of that for me for a very long time, you know? So, but it, it depends on who you're working with and why, right? So. Yeah. Well, the, the, this wouldn't be like an art school or even a college art course. It's just workshops held at the local art store. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know that is because I've never taken a, you know, an art school class. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that or or the other thing I 
been excited about when we moved here was uh, the idea of um, pursuing interfaith ministry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't gone, I thought I'd be a year into the studies already. <laughs> Back in those days when I thought I was losing time. Um, and I haven't done anything with it. And I, I, I'm still thinking about that. I haven't really, um, the only work ritual designing I've done this year was um, had to do with Carol and Noel because they, when Noel's end was getting really close, they were like, well, you know, most marriage ceremonies say, have the words until death do us part. And that, and the marriage ceremony itself is, is a ritual. And yet when one of the partners dies, there's no ritual, you know, to wrap it up because if it's till death do you part, then what then? What, you know, and how do we untie this bond that we've made or do we, or to what extent or whatever? So, you know, we talked about that for a while and you know, kind of came to grips with what they wanted to mm -hmm. do for each other. And then of course the challenge because Noel by this time was not always with us mentally, you know, so mm -hmm. it's short and simple, you know, just a little, little ceremony for them to um, both release each other and to, reaffirm their eternal love in whatever way is appropriate in next yeah. life because they, they believe in reincarnation you know so you tie every, all their beliefs into this ritual and uh, and you know and that was really satisfying and fulfilling you know just mm. the ceremonies i've done you know so that's still there too yeah uh at some point in the next little bit helen and i are going to go back to the uh place where we where we performed our marriage ceremony because we, we basically married ourselves, right? And um, and we're going to and we're going to release the the relationship, right? You know, and we're going to um, you know we have these relatively simple silver rings. Um, we're going to break them, and then we're going to take the silver and have them melted down into stuff for the kids. So we'll make a pendant for each of the kids, and then they can have that. But it won't be the it won't be the ring anymore, you know. And, uh, you know, we have some other things that are sort of remnants of the original ceremony and stuff like that, which we're going to, you know, release in one way or another at the place where we did the ceremony as a way of just basically being like, you know, all right, you know, we've signed the papers, we've done whatever, but, but also I release everything like this. It's just gone now, you know, and I think that that kind of stuff is really important, you know, and I think, yeah around death, around this, around all of it, it's really important, right? That's why these rituals matter, so. Oh, yeah. Good for you, Kai. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's also gonna be winter, so it's out on the island in Toronto. It's gonna be very cold, and uh, it's not gonna be inviting, like, when we get married in the summer, and uh, we went for a swim in the lake afterwards and stuff. I don't think any of that's gonna be happening, but, uh, you know, not, not with hypothermia anyway, but. Uh, but also it's kind of uh, symbolically significant. For sure, yeah, for sure. Well, maybe that's a good place to, to wrap this up for today. Yeah. Pursue things that are symbolically significant, people. Be human. <laughs> that's right. Be weirdos, hang out, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Thanks so much for, for following up. I know, I know that this is a challenging time and I think that, I think that what I've come to to think about social media and about these kinds of things like the podcast and so on is um, 
there's so much cynicism about it all, you know? People are so cynical. I hear so many things about how meaningless it is and so on. And yet, personally, I have some tremendously deep connections with people that are fostered, born, supported, or whatever out of, you know, out of these things. And I think that if we're, if we're able to show up there consciously, then, then it can become something quite different if we, if we do that. Otherwise, yeah, sure, we can share cat memes till the cows come home and they're funny, but uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how many of them I remember down the road, right? Exactly, exactly. For sure. Um, so in case you decide to start blogging again or whatever, where, where should people come and, come and follow you, Barbara? Yeah, okay. Um, my website is still the same, tarotshaman.com. My email is on there, uh, barbaramore07 at comcast.net. Please feel free to write, reach out. I um, may not be on social media, but I still do like hearing from people and connecting. And uh, and keep your eyes open. You never know. I might I might come back and join the land of the living. Join the fun. <laughs> join the, join the um, magnificent weirdness that. Uh, come down off the mountain, Barbara. Come come back to the city. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Come hang out at least on market days or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, and uh, I am already looking forward to this year. Perfect. <laughs> I hope you love this conversation. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know what you think. And even more helpful to the podcast, do me a favor and hit share, drop by iTunes, and give us a review. And in general, just help promote this work. Talk to you soon.